This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Our dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we pray that indeed as we come to your word, we come with great expectation that we will hear the words of eternal life and that we will hear of the dangers that are present before us and uh, of how we are to truly be assured of eternal life and salvation. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning I want to ask you this question. What is love? Okay, now obviously if you listen to the radio, uh, you will see that many, many songs on the radio have to do with the topic of love. You know, if you sort of took away all the love songs, you'd really have very, very few songs left. So what is love? So love, if you listen to the radio like I do, and actually, please excuse the, the collection of my songs, right, because it sort of shows my age. Right? It's like something that happens to you, you know, like you're walking around, you're living life like normal, minding your own business, and then suddenly you fall in love. Okay? And then unexpectedly, you're fallen in love and you're lost in love, you know, like you're in this fog of emotion, like you're lost in love and it's a wonderful thing. Oh, you got to switch the next one, right? You're lost in love and, uh, you know, you just can't escape and this wonderful thing, you're like swimming in the ocean of love, right? Oh, you got to go to the next one. The next one. Yes, that's right. Air supply. Okay. Right. And after, you know, you are lost in love, then what happens is you lose love. Right? You fall in love. You're lost in this fog of love. And then you lose love. It's like, you know, you've lost that loving feeling. Okay? (laughs) Then after you lose love, somehow you can't find love anymore because it's like it's gone it's, it's just disappeared right you know you're looking for love and you can't find it anymore so if you listen to the radio really we would say that love as an idea love as action love as a feeling is very very important but as we come to god's word today we see that this topic of love is even more important for us as christians right as much as you know it's exalted on the radio stations but as as christians uh, love is even more important than life itself, really. The Bible will tell us that love is beyond a life and death issue. So let's turn today to today's passage. And we're going to look at verse 3 first. And it says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do as he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, now I want you to pay attention to this passage uh, because the way that 1 John is structured, okay, so this is very important right from the beginning because some people say, you know, reading 1 John is very complicated because, you know, when you read like Paul, it's very straightforward, you know, there's, there's fact, 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 then there's reasoning, then conclusion, then application. But actually, when you read 1 John, it doesn't really work like in that straightforward, linear way, right? In fact, 1 John is a bit like a song, right? It's like some people say it's like a symphonic symphony, right? Like it deals with one topic, then it goes to another topic, then it comes back to the same topic again, it adds a little more, then it moves on to something else, then it comes on. So it's like a song, you know, a song is like 
you sing a little bit here, then you sing a chorus, then you sing something else, you sing a chorus, you sing something else. You know, you understand what I'm saying? I hope you do. Okay, but, but you can sort of see when you look at 1 John that there is this structure which is kind of like he touches on something, then he moves on to something else, and he touches something, then he moves on to something else. And that's what we see here. Because in last week when we saw at the very beginning of uh, chapter 1, he, he began really by saying straight from the beginning, this is the message that we heard from him and declared to you, God is light and there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Now actually, if you see what is written here in chapter 1, you see that actually he, he touches on the same topic again. In chapter 2, he's like a, a song, right? You know, he's like, he's talked about it, he's moved on now, he's talking about it again. So last week we saw that God is light. He is perfect light. He is goodness, righteousness, uprightness, holiness. And there is no darkness in him. There is no sin, there is no wickedness, there is no evil. And if we say we have fellowship with him, we, we have a relationship with God, then we too must walk in the light. So chapter 2 says the same things, but he adds on to these ideas. So, you know, I've color-coded it. Someone said to me a few weeks ago, they're not, they're a bit colorblind. But if you're, if you're well, I can't help you, la, right? But, but this is helpful for the rest of us, okay? You can sort of see that the themes are the same, right? So, knowing God is the same as having a fellowship with God, right? It's not about knowledge, it's about a relationship. You know, I know you, you know me. So, if we say that we know God, then we need to walk in the light. And how do we walk in the light? We walk in the light by obeying God's commandments. That's how we walk in the light. That's what this passage is talking about. But in this passage, we see that, that John adds a new, a new point. Right? He, he's like, you know, it's, it's a song, right? He's, he's talked about it before, now he talks about it again, but he adds something more to it. And what does he add? He talks about God's love. Right. That's the key new point he's adding here in verse 5. Anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Now, I know we just started the sermon and you know, maybe you're just waking up, but I need you to really pay attention here because this word, God's love, is really, really important to how we understand uh, the section, right? So if you look at your new international version translation, it will say, as uh, was read to us by Lingwei, if you look at your passage, what does it say? It says in verse 5, love for God. If you look at the ESV, it will say something different. So actually, this word, God's love, it can mean a few things. So what does it really mean? So the next slide. Oh, okay, the next slide. So literally... This phrase is love of God. Okay, the love of God. If you obey God, the love of God is made complete in you. But this word love of God can mean several things, right? So uh, it's a bit technical here, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. Love of God can be subjective, right? The subject is God. So it can mean God's love for man, right? Okay, God's love for man. We see that in chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, And so we know and rely for the for the love God has for us. 
right? So God is the subject. He loves us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. The love of God can also be objective. So God is the object of our love, right? So do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is love for God to obey his commands. His commands are not burdensome. Okay, so the love of God can mean God's love for us or our love for God. Or it can also mean the quality of love that God has, right? So again, in chapter 4, verse 9 to 11, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, right? This is the quality of love. Not that we love God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear, God, dear friends, since God so loved us, right? This is his quality of love. We ought also to love one another. So you can see that actually in the whole book of 1 John, the love of God, whether our love of God, God's love for us, or the quality of God's love, teaches us that we must obey God. And I think this is a very important point, and I think this is the main theme that runs through the whole of 1 John chapter 2. It is about love. If we know God's love for us, and we love God, then we must obey God. I think that's very true, isn't it? Because if we, if we know of God's love and, and the extent of His love for us and Jesus dying for us, then how can we not respond in obedience? So sometimes people say to, to, to us as Christians, oh, you know, being a Christian is very burdensome. You know, you're only obeying because you fear hell, right? You fear God's judgment, right? But actually, God doesn't use the stick, right? God uses the carrot here. He's saying, if you know the love that God has shown you because Jesus died on the cross for you, then how can you not love God? Or how can you not obey God in response? If you don't know in your mind, in your heart, the extent of God's love for you, then you will not obey God. But also at the same time, I think, the love of God is also subjective. Honestly, how do we show love to our loved ones? Uh, I mean, obviously in our fallen world, we don't show it perfectly, but usually when we love people, we are transformed in relationship and we do the things that they want us to do. I think that's right, isn't it? I, before I, I, I got married and fell in love with my wife and everything, right? I never made my bed, uh, right? I always leave my toothpaste cap, you know, off and the toothpaste messy. I, I never lift up the toilet seat and everything, right? I was a very messy person. But then now, now that I'm in marriage with my wife and out of love for my wife, I'm transformed, right? I'm the one who makes the bed all the time. I'm the one who's always very neat, right? I'm always the one who's very considerate and lifts up the toilet seat. And that's the truth, isn't it? If you love someone and you're in a loving relationship, it transforms your behavior, so if you love God, or even as NIV says, if you have love for God, then it must show itself in a transformed relationship. Because if you're in a relationship of love and you're not transformed, and in fact, if you do the opposite of what the person likes, right? instead of making my bed, I purposely throw all the pillows and the blankets on the floor, 
then it, it shows that I'm not really transformed by the love of my wife in my relationship, isn't it? In the same way, if I say I love God, but yet I'm not doing the things that God wants me to do, in fact, I do the opposite of what God wants me to do, then can I say that the love for God is being made complete or maturing or perfected in me? No, it cannot be. So what the Bible is saying here is, if in verse 5, we know the love of God, then we obey His word and that love is made complete or matured and perfected in us. And so here we have a, like a cycle, right? It's like a, a virtuous cycle. We know God in relationship. We know the love of God. We love God in response and we obey God. So the first re real application to hit home to us really is, as you sit here today, do you obey God's commands? Do you love God? Do you have love for God? And do you know God's love that He has shown for you? Because if you say yes to any of those things, then you must be transformed in the pattern of your life. You must obey His commands. Now the passage then goes on in verse 6 to 11, right? So the first point of love is the love of God. God's love for me, my love for God. The second point of this section in verse 6 to 11 uh, then touches on this topic and says, whoever claims to live in him, in God, must live as Jesus did. Uh, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. It is true, sorry, it's truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, sorry, a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them that makes them stumble. But if anyone hates a brother or sister in the, is in the darkness and walks around the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So here we we see that God develops, sorry, Jesus, sorry, uh, John develops the argument by pointing to the fulfillment of God's uh, commands and obedience in looking to Jesus. Right? So the first point was you love God, you obey God. And what does that look like? You walk as Jesus did. Okay, so in the past, um, uh, the next fight, remember people used to wear these bands, right? And it says WWJD, which is quite helpful. Like, you know, you, whenever you have a moral situation and you don't know what to do, you ask yourself, uh, what would Jesus do? But here actually is different now, right? Because um, it's actually HWJ, right? Oh, sorry, HWJW, right? How would Jesus walk? Okay, but WWJD and HWJW, a bit more complicated. Right? But really, as we try to live out the obedience to God's commands, then Jesus is like this perfect model for us to live. Right? Uh, you know, it's a bit like if you want to have the perfect golf swing, you model it on, say, Tiger Woods, or you want to have the perfect tennis swing, you model it on Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer right? or Djokovic. So in the same way, he's saying, look, if you want to know how to walk in the light, if you want to know how to obey God's commands, then 
Jesus is that model. And that's why in this passage, it says, I'm not giving you... Actually, it sounds a bit confusing because he, at one stage he says, I'm writing you an old command in verse 7. And then next minute he changes his mind. He says, actually, no, no, I'm giving you a new command. right? So what is it? Is it a new command or an old command? Actually, it's both. Because the old command in the Bible is to love God and to love your neighbor. That's the old command. But the new command is seen in the embodiment of it in Jesus. Right? So Jesus is like the fulfillment of the Old Testament's command to love. So if you look in the Bible in the Old Testament, up here on the slide, uh, in the book of Leviticus 19, and I think, oh sorry, I think there's Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think. Okay, I'll put the references later. But it says, you know, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. Okay, so if you look at the Ten Commandments as well, which God gave to Israel on Mount Sinai, you know, four of them is about loving God with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul and all your uh, mind. And then the other six are about loving each other, loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's why in Matthew chapter 22, uh, when he was asked, what is the greatest command? Then Jesus replied, love the Lord your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking the old commandment of the Old Testament and he's embodying it. And this is the new commandment to walk as Jesus walked because Jesus is the manifestation of the old commandment. Now, the application of this, John then says, is if you follow the old command and the new command embodied in Jesus to walk as Jesus did, then the application is you cannot hate your brother and sister in Christ. And you must love your brother and sister. Now, one of the questions that we struggled with when we did the Bible study leaders training was, who is your brother and who is your sister? Right? Because uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a very, very big topic, right? Because if your brother is that hateful guy in your office that is not a Christian, then it becomes a lot harder to love that person. But if your brother is just someone in Christ and church, then it becomes hopefully easier. And the same thing if it's a sister at, at, you know, that you really dislike somewhere else, or is it a sister in church? I think that... Um, if we read through the book of 1 John, it seems to suggest that the brother and sister is a Christian. Okay, Because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, he says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. Okay, So if, if that's consistent with what we're reading in chapter 2, then the brother and sister must be the person in Christ. Okay, so you're all breathing this sigh of relief, right? Oh, wow, that's much better. Okay, but at the same time, if we walk as Jesus did, there are many passages in the Gospels where Jesus exhorts people to love the neighbor as yourself. And then the question that the disciples ask is, who is my neighbor? And then he says, actually, the neighbor is whoever is in need. 
So this passage here doesn't mean that I only love the people who are in Christ and you know, forget about all those people outside. It means we, we have to focus on these people, but we also can't forget to love the people outside. But coming back to this passage itself, what John says is very, very strong and in your face. He says, if you do not love your brother and sister in Christ, and if you hate your brother and sister in Christ, you are in the darkness. Now what this means, as we've already seen looking at chapter 1 and 2, is that if you are in the darkness, you are out of fellowship with God. You are out of fellowship with Jesus. That means that you have no forgiveness. That means you are not saved. That means that loving your brother and sister of Christ is a non-negotiable. It is a non-choice. You have to love your brother and sister in Christ. And whatever it is, you cannot hate them. Now, this is very, very difficult in a sense because, you know, in chapter 1, it's all about action, right? Walking in the light is about the pattern of living. But what God is really saying is, your knowledge of God's love for you and your love for God doesn't just transform your thinking and your acting, but it must transform your heart. Now that's really difficult, isn't it? Because I can go through the motions of doing the actions, but in my heart, I still don't love people, right? And I can still hate people. But if you do not love then you're not in the light, you're in the darkness. In fact, if you hate, it says you're stumbling around in the deep, deep darkness. You're not in the light of Jesus and of God whatsoever. Now, I can't see into people's hearts, but I can see people's actions. And I've seen churches and Christians where there is not love, but hate. I've seen Christians who don't say hello to one another, I've seen Christians who don't look at one another. I've seen Christians who don't acknowledge one another during welcome time or morning tea. I've seen Christians who say hateful words to one another, gossip to one another about one another. And it's not just individual to individual. No? It can be whole families against families, which is really sad. But if you read these verses very clearly, you cannot be a Christian and walk in the light and walk as Jesus did and not love and still hate. You know, part of the problem is uh, sometimes we are, uh, we fool ourselves to think that as long as I don't hate, but I'm sort of in this neutral, uh, non-feeling, non-committal zone, I'm okay, right? As long as I'm not a hateful person, then God is happy in me. But if you look at this passage, it's very clear that God wants us, let's see that I've got an arrow, right? See the arrow? God wants us to move from hate to love. He doesn't want us to move from hate to non-feeling, right? That means that in our relationships with one another, we must love one another. We mustn't just be neutral to one another. It's not enough to move from hate to neutrality. We must move from neutrality to love. So for those of you who are not aware of it, uh, over the last few weeks, there's been the Rugby World Cup. Okay, So yesterday, England lost to, um, 
So sorry, I got so but but my, my illustration still works, lah. Okay, my illustration still works. So the England coach is called Eddie Jones, and he, and he he's a very blunt speaking person. He said this more than once, right? You can Google him and watch videos. He always says, if you're not physical, you know, rugby is a physical game, right? He's got this very strong Australian accent, right? If you if you don't if you're not physical in rugby, then don't play rugby, right? Because you know he says rugby is about smashing people, okay? You don't smash people. Don't play rugby, go play something else, okay? So he'll ask you, how can you not be physical playing rugby? It's true, isn't it? Because rugby is a physical game. If you, if you don't want physicality, don't play rugby, right? There's no way you can play rugby without being physical. It's just, that's the nature of the sport. In the same way, you cannot be a Christian and not love your brother and sister in Christ. That's what this passage is saying. It is the very nature of being a Christian, that it is intrinsic to the Christian life to love your brother and sister. If you do not love your brother and sister, then really you are not in, in the Christian game, so to speak, right? You're just playing the wrong game. It's just, this is, you're not even playing, you're not following the rules of the sport. There's a, oh, Richmond is not here, okay, but anyway, there's a very famous Liverpool manager, okay, his name is uh, Bill Shankin. He said, some people think Football is a matter of life and death. I don't like the attitude. I can assure them it is much more serious than that. Now, you may not agree with that, but, but I want you to substitute the word football uh, for love. Right? Because actually, if you understand what God is saying here through the Apostle John, he's saying that love is, 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 is not just a matter of life and death. Love is much more serious than life and death because if you're out of the light, if you're out of love and you're in the darkness, then actually you have no fellowship with God, you have no salvation, and you have no eternal life. It doesn't matter if you go to Bible study, it doesn't matter if you go to church, you have nothing. So we must love one another. We cannot hate one another in our hearts. The passage then goes on to uh, verse 15 to 17. Okay, I'm going to skip verse 12 to uh, 14, right? Because, you know, I said 1 John is a bit like a symphony or a song, right? So uh, I, we don't have enough time to go through it. But if you're in a Bible study group, you hopefully will. So in verse 15 to 17, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of, for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the last of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, uh, oh, can I have the circular team? The circular thing? Yep. So you can see so far that we are called to love God and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But here it says, do not love the world. At first reading, it seems a bit contradictory because how can you not love the world when your brother and sisters in Christ are in the world? But if you notice, he expands on his definition of the world to not talk about brothers and sisters in Christ, but the sinful world. Basically, he defines the world as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It, it defines the desires of the sinful, fallen nature because the lust of your eyes and the lust of the flesh are like things of, of like envying, coveting, 
being jealous of the riches, the worldly possessions, the achievements that come from your pride and your ego, the sensual delights of this world. So um, I must thank uh, someone in my Bible study group because you know my, my range of songs is very, very poor. But there's a, there's a song that I've heard of before called, uh, what is it again? I want to be a billionaire. Okay, so I must cater to all the different, different age ranges in the congregation. So this is a new song. Right? I want to be a billionaire by Bruno Mars. Okay, and Travis felt something. So I like the lyrics. Right? The lyrics are really cool. It says, you know, I, I want to be a millionaire. Actually, I realized that uh, this is the sanitized version, right? Because, okay, so freaking bad. Okay, I want to buy all the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. I want to smile next to Opera and the Queen. And every time I close my eyes, I want to see my name in shining lights. Yeah, a different city every night. I swear the world will be a better place when I'm a billionaire. So this is really, in this song, I think quite helpful in encapsulating the idea of the world that I think the Apostle John has here. You know, the idea of fame and fortune and, and popularity and uh, you know, acquiring things and achieving. And what, uh, what John is really saying is, if you love the Father, then you cannot love the things of this fallen world, right? the, 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 the achievements, the pride, the ego which come with it, the, the things, the riches and the popularity and the glory which comes with it. In the other parts of the Bible, uh, he actually says the same things, that th there is this mutually exclusive love that you can have. Right? So in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And in Matthew chapter 6, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think that's very true in our own experience have you known people who have fallen away from Christ? I'm sure many of you have. If you could summarize it in one sentence, how would you summarize it? Basically, they love the world more than they love God. Uh, I think that's true. You know, I've seen many people fall away gradually, some of them suddenly because of the love of something in the world, uh, the popularity of friends, uh, achievement, Riches, uh, they get seduced by the many things of this world, sensual delights. Maybe they, they are seduced by uh, a non-Christian relationship. Or maybe they want praise and popularity from the world. But the problem is that these things, it says here in the passage, in verse 17, pass away. Uh, actually, John writes in a very stylistic way. Okay, So if you look up here in the passage... He actually says the love of the world comes from the world, right? It comes from the, 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 the evil of this world. But the world passes away. But the love of the Father comes from the Father, and the one who does the will of God remains forever. So he's saying, look, this is the reality of the world. There will be many things that will attract you, but you always got to remember that these things are passing away. Love God instead, because the one who loves God and obeys God lives forever. Now, the last section here, 
It's a very long section. And really, it speaks uh, to the situation and the setting and the reason why John writes. Uh, and for those of us who went to the Bible handling course yesterday, this is very key to understanding why is it John wants to write to his audience. So it says in verse 18, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But if you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, but you have anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because there is no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, the first thing you notice here is that the reason why it is so important, as we saw last week, that John is writing, is because the church that John is writing to is full of chaos and confusion of different sorts of teaching, false teaching from these antichrists. And what's worse is these antichrists used to be part of the church, but now they have left. So once we understand the setting in the background, then we understand why, like last week, John keeps emphasizing that he has seen Jesus, he has spoken to Jesus, and his message is from Jesus. If you look at this passage, he keeps talking about the truth, right? So one of the key repeated words is, you know the truth, you know the truth, the truth is in you and there is no lie. So what he's saying is, hold on to this truth, remain in the truth. Because even now, he says in their church, there are people who are denying the very basic teaching of John and the apostle. So last week, uh, up here, is it? We read that the first proclamation to them was that their fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. But these false teachers and these antichrists were denying even that basic doctrine. They were saying that Jesus was not the Christ. Right? And they were denying the Father and the Son. So he says, look, because of this great danger that they were facing, all these antichrists and all these false teachers then what must they do? They must, they must pay attention to what he says in verse 4. Right? As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Right? As for you, the anointing you receive remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, you notice the, the word that keeps being repeated here is the word remain. He says, if you remain in what they heard from the beginning, then they will remain in the Father and the Son, they will receive another life, and they will not be led astray. So this word here, remain, is a very important word. It's a very important idea, a very important action. So they are to remain in what they heard in the beginning. This could mean the Old Testament, remain in the Old Testament, in the Old Command, or remain in 
what they've heard about Jesus, the new command, right? So remain in the old command about loving God and loving each other. Remain in the new command about loving in the way that Jesus loved. If they remain in what they heard from the beginning, they will remain in the Son and the Father. They will receive eternal life and they will not be led astray. Now, this means that everything that John is writing here is to deal with this issue of the Antichrist and the false teaching. Right? So if you go to the next... So, you, so, if, uh, sorry, yeah. so you, you know, he keeps using this, I'm writing to you this, I'm writing to you this. So the false teachers are not just teaching that Jesus is not the Christ. They're not just denying the Father and the Son. They are denying love. They're denying obedience. They're denying walking as Jesus did. And this is very, very true for us even today. It shouldn't surprise us that there are false teachers in Antichrist who come out of us, who try to deny that Jesus is the Christ and deny obedience to God and to love of God, to love of one another. So last week I gave you some examples about the God, the Mother Church, and the Jehovah's Witness. So this week I'm going to give you another one. Right? So um, this is a relatively famous uh, lady writer. Her name is Elaine Pagels. Right? If you Google her, she has many, many books. Um, if you do read her books, you have to beware, right? Because basically what uh, she tries to teach in, in her books is that uh, there are all sorts of different Gospels and that Jesus is only a human. Uh, she was an evangelical Christian. She grew up uh, from the age of 13, I think, in an evangelical church. And then she somehow changed. And now she's written many books. Her books are very popular. They become like... Uh, uh, lots of awards, New York Times bestseller list. She even got an award from Barack Obama. But you can see that, that what she's teaching, she's actually a false teacher and the Antichrist. She's denying that Jesus is God. She, she says that Jesus is just a human being. Right? She, she tries to change everything about the Christian religion. And uh, even today, I, I was very sad because I met up with some ex-Christian friends uh, that uh, Cheryl and I knew in university. And today, uh, they go to this really wonky church in Sydney, right? where the church basically uh, asks them what they do in church, and they just go there and, and light candles and sort of sing uh, songs. And it's open to everyone for every religion. And they don't really believe anymore that Jesus is the Christ or God the Father. They kind of like believe in this strange, unknown God. Uh, they don't talk about obeying God. They don't talk about loving God or loving their brothers and you know, not hating them and, and not about not loving the world. Right? Basically, you go to this church, you like candles, you sing some songs, and everybody just goes up and shares whatever they feel. Now, this is not the church. This is not remaining in God's Word. This is not remaining in the Father and the Son. This is just a community gathering of people who want to feel spiritual. I wouldn't even call it a church. But as we see this passage, it, 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 it's like throwing water in us, right? It's like, wake up. You're living in this environment. You're living in this world where people want to lead you astray. You need to remain in what you've heard from the beginning. Remain in the Old Testament. Remain in the teachings of John. Remain in the scriptures. If not, you'll end up in a church where every Sunday we come, we just light candles. We sing some you know, vaguely spiritual songs, and then whenever one of you feels like you can come up and start sharing about how your week has been, right? 
and how maybe God has touched you in some way. I don't think that's a church at all. But the only way we can keep being in the light is to keep and remaining in His Word. So in conclusion, um, I went to visit my son in London a few weeks ago. So we went to um, the British Art Gallery. And actually, I, I really had a good time. I thought it was one of the best art galleries I've ever been to. And you know what? It's free. Although when you walk in, they keep saying, would you like me a donation, right? But then, maybe I should. Lah. Very <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's free, right? It's amazing. Uh, they have so many pictures. And even better, when you finish going there, you can actually buy the prints of the, many of the pictures you've seen. Anyway, I saw this picture I really liked. So I asked the lady, I said, do you have this picture? And they said, oh, no, no, we don't have that. That's not very popular. And I said, oh, okay, that's very sad. So this is the picture I saw. It's by this guy called um, Bosano. And it's actually a picture of the Good Samaritan. But surprisingly, um, when you go to the British Art Gallery, you can print any picture there. It just costs you a little bit more. But they actually have this special printer that will print it out. So I bought it. Okay, this is my nice National Gallery. Right, right. And it's here, right? A little print. And what I liked about it was this, uh, if, you look at the, uh, if you look at the picture and you listen to the audio guide, this Bosano guy, he really wanted to show the reality of the, of the act of love of the Samaritan in helping the beaten and wounded uh, traveler who was beaten by the robbers. So he wanted to show like, the, the dirtiness and the sweatiness and the bloodiness of the beaten traveler, right? So, you know, you can see, like, he's naked, he's oily, he's bloody, and apparently the, the dogs here, can you see these dogs? They're supposed to be, like, licking the drops of blood from the robber, right? And then the, 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 the vase here is meant to symbolize the oil and the wine that uh, the, the Samaritan, you know, basically used out of his love to, to clean up the, the traveler, and how, it's, you know, his guy is really heavy, and he's got to lift him up, to put him on his horse. The horse is on the right side of the picture. You can't really see it, right? So, you know, he's, he's got to put so much effort to lifting up the guy and putting him in the horse. And then he's got the money back behind him, which he's going to use to pay for the guy's accommodation. And the whole point about the picture, the Good Samaritan, really is of, of costly love, right? Uh, this, the, the, the artist, Bosano, wanted to show the costly love of the Samaritan to the wounded traveler. And I was thinking to myself, no, I really like the picture because it's a reminder to us that as Christians, we must be characterized by love. Characterized by the love of God for us. Characterized by our love for God. And we must be characterized of the love that, that Jesus showed to other people. We must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we must not love the world. And I think that as we come to today's passage, it's such a great reminder to us that love is not the love of, you know, like Air Supply or Celine Dion, but love is something that is real and tangible that we must have as Christians in our heart for one another. And it must be exhibited in acts of love to one another. Because if not, the stakes are very high. We are not in the light of God. We are not in the light of Jesus. We are actually still in the darkness. We can come to church, we can fill our minds with knowledge, we can go to Bible study, we can get every question right, but if we do not have love, then we are not in God 
and we are not in Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that as we know you, as we know of your love, we will respond with love for you and we will obey your commands. We will be transformed to walk as Jesus walked. Dear Father, help us to see that Jesus is the embodiment of obedience and of love. That in his life, he loved you with all of his life and he loved the people around him. So dear Father, teach us that to be a Christian, to say that we are Christian, to say that we know you means we must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must never hate our brother and sister in Christ. Dear Father, teach us that we are not to love the world, to love the praise and acclamation of the world, the pride and ego of life. We're not to love the things of this world, the riches, the achievements, and the glory of this world. But dear Father, to love you alone. Teach us the reality that the things of this world pass away, but only those who do your will will remain forever. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.